0: Well, we're continuing a series called The Really, Really Good News, and the way I started it was by saying there's this one Greek word, the New Testament was written in Greek, one Greek word, euangelion, and it's translated gospel in a lot of older translations, but the newer translations translate it good news. And that's a good translation, I mean, that's essentially what it means. So this series is about the way this word is used, and sometimes it says, for example, in the first message, it's the good news, this message that entered into the world of Jesus' day, it's the good news about God himself, that he was very, very different than any other expression of God that existed at the time. Last week we looked at the, it's the good news about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, this individual that we know so well from historical record, it turns out that he's God in flesh visiting his planet to rescue us, to save us. And now today we see the scripture talks about God's grace uh, being the other thing that is such, such good news. Now, each week I've given you a differential between what is just good news. We all want good news. We want good news if we can get it every single day of our lives. But good news, just plain good news, tends to be physical, temporal, circumstantial, personal, It's immediate in its impact, but with a limited duration. In other words, if I get some good news now, it may not affect you any. It's good news for me, not good news for you. It may be good news for me that will affect me this week, but it won't affect me necessarily five years, ten years from now. So that's what I'm saying there. Whereas what I'm calling really good news, it's different entirely. First of all, it's spiritual. It's not temporal. It's eternal. It's experiential. It's something that enters into me and becomes a part of me if I allow it. It's universal. It's not just good news for me. It's good news for you. It's good news for anyone that will avail themselves of it. It's also immediate in impact. But here's the difference. With an unlimited duration. This good news, if I let it in, it affects me now. It affects me next week. It will affect me next year, next decade, and for the rest of my life. So that's the big difference between what I'm saying is good news and what I'm calling in this series really good news. There's a verse I'd like to start us with. It's from the New Testament book of Acts. Acts just, it's called Acts because it's the Acts of the early apostles spreading this good news across the world of their day. The apostle Paul was meeting with a group of leaders from the church of Ephesus when he said these words. He said, My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Well, what's the work that was assigned to the apostle Paul by the Lord Jesus? The work of telling others the what? The good news, but it's the good news about the wonderful what? Grace of God. So that's what we want to focus on today. What was so different? What was so distinctive? What, what's the good news about this grace of God or this God who is full of grace? We want to kind of just focus our attention on trying to contemplate the fact that it was distinctive in that that it was so inclusive. In the biblical world of that day... Uh, you had gods and goddesses that were very territorial and very demanding. Uh, A god or a goddess, the religions of that day, and there were multiple religions in the Roman Empire, just as there are multiple religions today. These gods and goddesses, and every religion then, and every religion today, they're all distinguished by one thing. You or I have to do something. They demand something of us. We have to do something to appease them, to earn their favor, to gain their favor. Many times in the biblical world, it was a human sacrifice it could be a child sacrifice it could be a virgin sacrifice but it's always something all religion says you must do something to try to appease the deities and then maybe the deities will be on your side so the gospel message though the good news was very different it talked about a God who just wanted to do good to everyone now, the first thing that we probably need to stop and focus on, though, is, is what do we mean by grace? Because grace today in church world has taken on a lot of different meanings. And so let me go through a couple of these with you. First of all, some think of this word grace as just some, some kind of a mystical influence. Oh, there's a lot of grace on the people, or, or we take communion you know we take a little wafer we drink a little bit of grape juice and and we feel like we we have grace infused in us somehow some churches actually teach this stuff that when you take that little cracker and you know you drink a little wafer some of them don't even give give you the, the juice they just give you the cracker but they say that some kind of grace is infused in you and they never quite explain what it means but it's this notion that some kind of some kind of energy or something from god comes in you but if people just thought about this for a moment If that were true, shouldn't it make some difference, some long-lasting difference in a person's life? But it doesn't. It never makes any difference in a person's life to take it at all. So this is a deficient and it's a non-biblical definition of grace. It's mystical, it's ethereal, but it's not supported biblically. The second way that is typically, you know, taken in local churches and amongst those that would call themselves Christ followers is judicially. And essentially it's this, it's just this notion that because Christ died sacrificially for us, we can now be forgiven and receive eternal life. And so when we hear the word grace, we kind of package it all together. Yes, this is God's grace that we can be forgiven, that we receive eternal life just by trusting in Christ since he sacrificially died for us. This really comes from the Protestant Reformation during the 1500s. The first 1500 years of Christianity, the word grace would not have been taken like that at all. It would have been much more expansive. But we've limited it now to just this judicial, I'm going to be forgiven, I'm going to receive eternal life because of Christ's sacrifice. It's okay, but it's still deficient from what the Scripture really means by God's grace. And then the third way that it's used um, in an awful lot of Christian realms today is that grace just means it's sort of this permissiveness of God. That God just kind of, you know, He loves us and He loves us as we are and He doesn't really want anything much for us. He doesn't expect anything much for us. He, he doesn't really expect us to change. For example, last week, uh, if you were in here, I gave an illustration from The Bachelorette, one of my favorite shows. Do you No, it's not. Never watched it. But, but how many of you were here last week and you heard my illustration of The Bachelorette? Okay, you remember The Bachelorette? Because okay, here, here's what I emphasized. So The Bachelorette's, blabbing her mouth on TV and she had had sex with some of the other bachelors and this one bachelor protested because you know he was a Christian and he didn't think that was right so anyway she said I just want you to no, know you're not going to judge me nobody's going to judge me my God is okay with me sinning every day I sin every day and you're not going to judge me my dog's not going to judge me Jesus loves me just as I am so she said I don't do good impressions but it was, it was, it was, it was I've offended every country person now and <laughs> And everybody that does good impressions, probably. But, but she had this notion of this permissiveness. And the illustration that I followed up on it with was this. You know what? I could drink Drano. I could drink Liquid Plumber. And Jesus still loved me. But he'd be thinking, what a knucklehead you are. I want something so much better for you than this. And what she doesn't understand is that when God set boundaries for us in whatever realm they might be, whether they're sexual boundaries or other areas, they're for our protection, they're for our good. She thinks she's getting away with something because she's tricking her own conscience, but that conscience is there to protect her. She's drinking Drano and saying, Jesus loves me. It's like, yeah, it's not going to help your throat any, though, you know, at the end of the day. So... It's this notion of permissiveness. That is not biblical. That is not what the Bible means by grace at all. Now, the actual Greek word in the New Testament is a Greek word, kairis, and it's typically translated, if you look at you know, various uh, pieces to translate the, the Greek to the English, as unmerited mercy and favor. But frankly, even this is tainted by theological thought from the Protestant Reformation. It's this notion, again, judicially, that you know, Jesus took our, our place on the cross, and so now we can be totally forgiven and that kind of thing hence the unmerited mercy and favor. But it's bigger than that. That's not bad. That's not really bad, but it's bigger. It's bigger than that. So I want to try to take some time and help us all contemplate this inclusiveness of God's grace. Now, I started by saying that the Scripture started being... Uh, presented in the world of the first century in a world where you had these territorial gods. You know, you had gods that were over Persia and gods that were over Rome and gods that were over Greece and so forth. They cared ...for their terrain, they cared for their people... ...they didn't care for you if you lived somewhere else... ...it was kind of like a turf consciousness... ...amongst the gods and goddesses... ...and all of these gods and goddesses... ...and all of the religions... ...and there were many, many religions in the biblical world of the first century... ...as there are many today... ...they all were the same... ...all religions today, folks, except for what we call... ...biblical Christianity, for want of a better term... ...they all have the same thing, distinction... The gods, the goddesses, the entities, the deities, they demand something from us. We have to do a ritual. We have to perform a ceremony. We have to sing a song. We have to say something. We have to give something. We have to do something. We have to sacrifice something. In the ancient world, the sacrifices were horrific. How many of you are familiar with the Mayan culture? They would sacrifice thousands and thousands of people so that the gods would give them good crops and good cattle and all like that. So, These deities require something, but but the real God, the real creator, he doesn't come asking for anything. He doesn't come demanding anything. He comes fully, generously offering good to everyone. And this was different. A God that wasn't territorial and a God who wasn't demanding, but a God who came loving all, liking all, wanting to give to all. Now, it doesn't mean that all would receive, but it did mean that He came in that way. And that was totally different in the Roman world. And hence, within about 300 years, Christianity had spread and completely overturned the very Roman government itself. Let's look at a few scriptures that talk about this inclusiveness. The Apostle Peter, he's talking to a, a, about a situation where he had a, a Roman centurion that was interested in Christ. That said, then Peter said, I can see for sure... That God does not respect one person more than another. This crashed through the territorial notions of the religions of the day. That God loved everybody. He respected everybody. It goes on to say, he's pleased with any man in any nation Who honors him and does what is right. This was new. A God who just comes with goodwill and he likes everybody. He's for everybody. He doesn't want anything from anybody. He wants to give something to everybody if he can, if people will receive. The rest of this verse adds this. It says, all the early preachers spoke of this. Everyone who puts his what? Trust in who? And that's what it means to be a Christian. We stop trusting in ourselves and following ourselves. We put our trust in Christ and start following Him. And we follow Him fully and freely and forever because we actually trust Him. says so everybody who puts his trust in Christ will have his sins forgiven through His name. This was really good news. They didn't have to sacrifice anything. They didn't have to go through a ritual. This God was not demanding anything. He came offering something. Let's look at another. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3... It says, and if you read the earlier verses, it's talking about Jesus Christ, and it calls him specifically God. It says, God, our Savior, who wants how many people? Everyone to what? Now, if you read on, it says in Matthew 1, uh, when Jesus first was born, Matthew one twenty-three, it says, they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. Can anybody finish it? From their sins. Make no mistake. Sin is killing us. Sin is destroying our peace. It's destroying our world. It's destroying relationships. God comes to save us if we will let him from our sins, present tense, not the penalty of our sin. The penalty of our sin, we'll experience that good enough in this life as well as potentially the life to come. But he comes to save us from sin, present tense. God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Once I know the truth, I see that sin is my enemy. It's not my friend. I know that it's destroying me and destroying the world. It's not helping me. Hence the bachelorette. I can sin every day and Jesus still loves me. Yeah, you can drink Drano every day too, but it's not going to help. It's not going to help it's universal he wants everyone this was so new god's grace first of all god's grace it's nothing more than an attribute a character a characteristic that exists in god because god is all knowing and almighty and governed by sacrificial love the result is this thing we call grace he just wants to do good. He just comes with generous arms open doing all the good that he can possibly do for everyone in the universe. He wants to give us far more than he can give us because it's dependent upon our ability or our will- not ability, our willingness to trust and receive from him, which means doing what he says to do and stop doing what he says to stop doing. Let's look at another. John three 16. We're pretty much you know, all familiar with this to some degree. It says, for God so loved, how many people? The world, everybody, everybody, indiscriminate, the world, that he gave his only unique son so that everyone who does what? Trust in him. You hear hear the redundancy? Everybody's following somebody. We're either following ourselves or we're following Christ. When a person puts their trust in Christ... We cease to follow ourself and our way and our will and our ideas about life. And because we trust Christ more than we trust ourself, we start to follow him, which means I immerse myself in his word so that I can learn the way he designed life to be lived. And then I do what he says to do. I don't do it because I'm afraid. I don't do it to earn points. I do it because I trust him and I trust him more than I trust myself. Everyone who trusts in him may have what kind of life? Eternal life. It's free gift for those who trust in Christ. Instead of being utterly destroyed, when we insist on our willing ways instead of God's, the result is always deterioration, degeneration, destruction of some sort. So here we see this universal heart of God once again. I think we have yet one more. I'm sorry, we don't, we don't. So, um, okay, we do, we do. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Now, that could be condemn the world but rather so that through him the world might be saved. Now, the world is not going to be saved. We know that because not everyone will trust Christ, our creator, and follow him. Now, I want to summarize four key teachings about grace, God's grace. What makes it such good news? It's incredible that the divine creator of the universe just comes with generosity and goodwill towards us. It's incredible, but it's not inexplicable. It's because he's all-knowing and all, all-powerful, but governed by sacrificial love, that the natural expression of that is grace. He, he just comes generously wanting to do good for all. Secondly, his grace right now is inescapable, but not irresistible. I'm t- I know some of you are thinking, what do you mean inescapable, Randy? Okay, when you taste something really good, your taste buds allow you to enjoy what tastes good. The same is true of the most wicked person in the world. The most evil person in the world can experience a beautiful sunrise, a sunset, delicious food, warm interaction with other people. It doesn't matter how evil something Jesus said in Matthew 5.45 that God causes his rain and his son... To fall upon both the evil and the good. God's grace right now, for a short time, it's inescapable. Even people that don't care about God, don't care about life, don't care about good, they still experience God's grace every day. They just don't know it. Every time they taste the good food, they're experiencing God's grace. Every time they get up and their eyes are working and their body's working, they're experiencing God's grace. Every time somebody's kind to them, they're experiencing God, but they may not care about it. So it's inescapable for a while, but... It's not irresistible because you know and I know multitudes of people who could care less about God, His grace, or anything else concerning Him. Thirdly, it's purposeful but not always successful. God means His grace to move us toward Himself and to move us toward the truth about life. But it doesn't always work out that way. It it can produce differing results based on the individual. So it's purposeful, but it's not always successful. Some people reject God's grace. And then finally this. It's transformational, but not always beneficial. In other words, it can bring the best out in someone. It's got that potential, but it can also bring the very worst out in someone. You see, when someone understands that God has nothing but goodwill toward them, that he wants to bless them, and when they turn away from that and they show no interest in that God at all, they show no interest in the kind of developmental improvement that he wants to bring into their life, it brings the worst out in people. And people tend to be like the bachelorette, and they, they mistake God's grace for this permissiveness to do destructive things and to live destructively. But it also brings the best out in people because it allows for authentic growth, authentic growth and authentic development and change we sang a song a minute ago about i've been changed god's grace will change us if it causes us to truly trust in christ our creator to the point that now i have deep convictions inside I'm, I'm I'm making changes in my life, not based on any pressure from the outside, but I am convinced in the core of my being that everything that God says about life is true, it's right, it's good, it's beneficial, it's good for me, it's good for everyone, so I'm embracing it, I'm learning its ways, I'm putting it into practice, not because I'm afraid, not because I'm trying to gain heaven or avoid hell or any of those things, I'm doing it because... I'm convinced it's bringing authentic change. I'm following Jesus fully. I'm following him freely. And I'm going to follow him forever because his grace, his love, his truth has won me over. Romans 2, 4, it says it this way. It says, or perhaps you despise, and this is not talking about anybody necessarily here, but some people do. Perhaps you despise the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Because you don't realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? To turn from your what? So it's saying here, God's grace, it's another word for God's kindness, God's grace, it's intended to awaken us and turn us from our sins. But you know, and I know, that doesn't, that doesn't work. It sure didn't work for the bachelorette. <laughs> and if anything, it seemed to turn her to her sins. She took God's grace as this permissiveness and all she's doing is hurting herself. So God's grace can bring the best or it can bring the worst out in us, but it's it's broad, it's it's universal in its embrace, it's inclusive. Now, the second part about God's grace is that it's extensive beyond what we can hardly imagine. I mean, you know, maybe you're like me, you kind of watch, like to watch animals. I like watching any kind of animal, I don't care, squirrel uh deer deer in particular i see deer almost every day where i live and you ever notice that any animals wild animals you you see they always look just kind of happy and content like the squirrel he's just kind of bouncing around his little tails doing this and and the deer they always look so happy and you know like they're out in the elements man they're out in the snow they're out in the rain they got ticks all over them and everything and they're like all happy god in his grace you think about this sometime. Even in the animal world, he created every animal with this capacity for contentment, and he provided the means for their contentment. How much more? How much more human beings? God made us. God gave the greatest gift he could give when he made human beings. He made beings in his own image. That means that you and I have the capacity to experience and enjoy life on the exact same level that God himself does. That's grace. We experience grace in our creation. There's nothing like us in the universe except angels. You know, your dog, your cat, you know, your pet monkey, (laughs) they might have a lot of joy of their own within its limited span, but sit down and tell them a story about something, and they're not going to be that interested, you know. Sing them a song. It could be your favorite song. Your pet monkey isn't going to care a whole lot about it. They just don't have the capacity. But God gave you and I in grace. It was his grace that said, I'm going to make beings. They can experience the riches. I, I'm, I'm going to give them emotions just like I do, so they can feel everything. I'm going to give them a capacity for joy. I'm going to give them a capacity to love and be loved. I'm going to give them a capacity to be creative and to do what is good. So even in our creation, we see God pulling out all the stops to show His grace. But that's nothing compared to what He has destined us for in the future. Listen to this verse from a New Testament book of Romans. Paul writing to Christ's followers in Rome. He said, God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him. He already, he has something called foreknowledge. He doesn't cause us to put our trust in him. But he knows who will and who won't. He knows that in advance. He has foreknowledge. God knew from the beginning those who would put their trust in him. So he chose them and made them to be like who? His son. And we read over that and we say, okay, so, you know, he... he We that have trusted in Christ, we're going to someday be made like him. It goes on. Christ was first, and all those who belong to God are his brothers. But let that sink in a little bit. What does it mean for you and I that someday, if we've put our trust in Christ in this life, what does it mean that God is going to see to it, he's going to use his power to bring it to pass, that I actually, you actually become like Christ Listen to this in Ephesians 4, and it just emphasizes the same thing. It says, we must become like what kind of a person? You'll hear me say this again and again. The purpose of your life, my life, is this life is a developmental journey, and I am to become a mature person in this life. But what does a mature person look like? How do you you tell what's a mature person? The verse explains it. A mature person growing how long? Until keep on growing, until we become what? Like Christ. That's a mature person. When I'm completely mature, when I'm fully grown up, when I'm fully human and fully alive, I'm going to be a Christ like version of myself. You will be a Christ like version of yourself and have his what? Now I mean right away, I know there's always just somebody I'm the ego's talking that perfection stuff again, gonna make me feel bad about myself. Well make me feel guilty all the time. I'm I'm not, yeah, I'm not perfect, Randy. You're not gonna be perfect. I saw it on a bumper sticker. We're only forgiven we're not perfect. Well, you know, you shoot if you're gonna hit what you shoot at most times. If you shoot at the ground, you'll probably hit the ground. But if you shoot at becoming like Christ because God says it's the appropriate goal, you're gonna get a lot closer to being like Christ than if you don't take it serious at all. Think about the meaning of this. You have the capacity for change, real change, real growth, real development, real capacity for unselfish love to grow exponentially in our lives right into the very end. But but the destiny that God has, this grace that He has, this plan that He has for us that we don't deserve, we didn't earn, He thought it up. He just wanted to give it. That's what grace means. He just wants to bless us with good things. It's going to take in our physiology as well. I mean... Probably all of us in here will acknowledge on our better days, you know, I wish I was in a little bit better shape, or I wish I didn't ache as much maybe, some of us can identify with that, or wish I was a little more intelligent, wish I was a little more attractive, wish I didn't feel so inadequate sometimes, wish I didn't feel so bad about myself sometimes. Listen to this verse. It says, we're citizens of heaven. That's right now. We sang that song about we're living right on the edge. We're citizens of heaven if we've trusted Christ already. We're we're citizens of another dimension, a real dimension, where Christ and the righteous angels and the righteous that have trusted God exist, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we're eagerly waiting for him to return to this earth physically as our Savior. But look what happens when he returns. He will take our weak, mortal bodies, right? We're, we're all weak, we're all mortal, we're not perfect physically, and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Do you remember when Jesus was transfigured and suddenly he let the inner divinity shine through his skin and the light became so blinding, it was like this energy field? How many you remember that portion of scripture? You've heard of it at least. Jesus rose from the dead, he had a physical body, yet he could appear and disappear he could go in and out of our dimension physically he could eat food but i doubt that he needed food he could enjoy it so he had a body but it was very very different kind of a body it says he'll make our bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control folks this is god's grace You you didn't choose to become like christ and i don't think we can fathom the full magnitude of this we all have some creative ability. You know what I mean? Like like if you want to make a chocolate cake or something, you can read the instructions and you can creatively put the chocolate cake together. You want to build a birdhouse, you can probably build a birdhouse or something like that. You can use some creative ability, but it takes some work. But is there anybody in here that can just by pure thought cause something physical to come into existence? I hope not. <laughs> no, we can't, but God can. Jesus did miracles like that. He has the power by pure thought to bring things into existence. This is certainly hinting at you will someday have a body like Jesus, a mind like Jesus, capacities to do miracles, which won't even seem like miracles like Jesus. That's God's grace that he gave you this destiny. You didn't choose it. I didn't choose it. We are going to be these glorious beings that were we to see ourselves the way we'll look then if we were to see ourselves now we'd fall on our faces in terror probably and worship because we wouldn't even recognize the kind of beings that we are destined to be this is kind of like caterpillar time for us butterfly time comes for all eternity let's look at just one last and maybe this one will make this thing stick a little bit it's a next to the last chapter in the bible Revelation 21, it says, Then I heard a great voice from the throne crying, See, the home of God is with men. I mean, literally, this is, this is real stuff, folks. You're going to be able to go next door and say, Hey, Lord, I just wanted to say hello again today. Miranda, you were here every day this week. Well, I do no, know. I just wanted to say hello again. You know, It's meaning God's physically going to be present with us. He'll live with men, and he will live among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall Be with them, and he will wipe away every what? Every tear from their eyes. It goes on. It doesn't stop there. Death shall be what? No more. And never again shall there be what? Sorrow or crying or what? Or pain. No more. Never again. For all those former things are past and gone, and they, meaning God's people, will reign how long? I don't know who will reign over, man. It gives us a hint at God's plans for the future of the universe. But we're going to be ruling and reigning. Now, let me make this personal to show you how God's grace really can be powerfully meaningful to us right now. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't know physical pain. We know what it is. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't know emotional pain. There's not one of us likely in this room that hasn't had our feelings hurt, our hearts broken and the pain that results from that. It's probably many of us in this room, every day of our life, we struggle with fear of some sort. We live in a dangerous, bad world. It's probably many of us in this room, if not all of us, that struggle with insecurity on a regular basis, inferiority, feeling inadequate, feeling incompetent, wondering if we belong, wondering if we fit in, wishing so much that we could be better, do better, be wanted, be welcome sure that everybody likes us accepts us admires us but we struggle some of us we've got memories we've got agonizing memories of stuff that was done to us we've got agonizing memories of things that we did that we wish we hadn't we have these regrets that we try to push out of our mind we try to immerse them in god's forgiveness but nevertheless they still torment us and many of us even who have trusted in christ we groan we struggle with the the fallout of living in a sinful world. And we ache for that time when there'll be nothing ever to fear again. That every person you ever meet will know you, will have the best construction on you, will want you, will love you, will like you, will admire you. You'll be at it. You can take the most brilliant human being alive right now and you will dwarf them with your intelligence because God's going to turn on all the switches. You're going to be like Christ. You're going to have power that is so beyond what you can imagine right now that there's nothing that I could even do to begin to illustrate it. I was going to do an illustration last week, but I've burned so much time, I'm not going to do that. Um, so when you think of God's grace, this is all part of it. This is your guaranteed future. And God wants us to grab hold of this now because this is what distinguishes God's grace from any other kind of religious notion that exists on the planet, both in biblical times and now as well. And God's grace is gentle. How many saw the movie The Horse Whisperer? 1998, Robert Redford, Jeremiah Johnson. All the guys know Jeremiah Johnson. Um, Horse Whisperer is a beautiful story based on a real man's life. A real man, I think I have a picture of him. His name is uh, Buck Branham. The real Horse Whisperer, Buck Branham, he was a guy who was terribly abused as a child by his dad. And he kind of, related to animals better and so he learned this technique with horses and if you watch the movie there's this one one scene in particular where a cell phone goes off and this traumatized horse just runs in terror bursts out in the meadow and so robert redford who is supposed to be the horse was where where he's playing buck branaham uh not in the movie but he goes and he just sits in the middle of this field where the horse ran out to and he just sits there and he waits what appears to be for hours until finally little by little the horse scared confused just edges his way closer to him, close to him. And finally, the horse gets close enough to touch. I think this is probably one of the best examples of God's grace that I can leave you with. He comes into our life wanting to do us so much good. But he comes gently. He comes patiently. He's not pushy. He doesn't come to demand anything from us. He wants no sacrifices. He just wants our trust. He just wants the joy of being able to give us as much as he wants to give us. But he can't do that until we, you know, really trust him completely. Maybe you've got some of those inferior ideas about grace. Maybe you still think it's this mystical thing, this supernatural thing that just comes over you and makes you different. Well, frankly, it doesn't. It's not something to be relied on biblically. Maybe your notion of grace is that it's this purely judicial thing. It's just all about, yeah, God will forgive us if we trust in Jesus and we'll go to heaven someday. Yeah, that's true, but there's so much more than that. And then maybe some of us still think that God's grace is permissiveness, that you mumble something about your allegiance to Jesus and then you can just live any way you want. You can. You can absolutely live any way you want. But if you live, or I live, contrary to God's will, we only hurt ourselves So I hope you don't have any of those mistaken notions of grace. I hope you'll walk out of here with a whole new picture of how uh, universal God's grace is and how extensive it is, and I hope it'll strengthen you, encourage you, motivate you as we go through the day-to-day ups and downs and struggles in this not-so-easy world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the very, very good news about your grace Uh, help us to allow it to work its way deep into our hearts and then out through our lives to others. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.